Welcome back, we're glad to have you here. We are in week two of uh, our Take Heart series. If you were not here last week, just a really quick recap of why we're doing this series. Going into 2024, kind of look at the landscape of our culture, the landscape of our world, and the fact that we have a, an election coming up next fall, things might get a little nuts this year, right? Like we can just anticipate that. And so we thought, you know what? It's hard enough already to be a young adult. It's, it's even more difficult in a season where it seems like the world, something crazy is happening every day. It's, a, it's chaos out there. And so we want to start this year off by encouraging you to take courage, to take heart. Because over and over in, in the scriptures, God and Jesus are saying all the time, do not be afraid. Take heart, take courage, for I am with you. And so when we think about this, this series and I think about the chaos and fear, and we talked about last week how the, like, th those two things, are they're just a fact of life. There's not a whole lot that we can do to stop chaos or to cease to be fearful at times. That's just part of life. The problem then actually comes in how we respond to chaos, how we respond to the fears that we have. And so Jesus said in John 16, verse 33, this is kind of our verse for the series. It just kind of paints the, the picture for the, this whole idea is, in this world, Jesus says, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. That sounds really good. I have overcome the world, but what about today? Jesus, what about my life? What about my week right now? Well, Matt Chandler, a pastor in Texas, said it this way, if there is no fear, there cannot be courage. You must feel fear to be courageous. And so it just makes me think about, all right, if we wanna take Jesus at his word. What does he mean by that? So this whole series is unpacking that idea of what does Jesus mean? Take heart for I have overcome the world. What has he overcome? Well, tonight I'm super excited because we are gonna answer this question from a cosmic level. We're gonna, we're gonna get out of, of our everyday, we're gonna get out of our week and our year, and, every, and we're gonna look at the big picture of the story of God and what Jesus has overcome. You know, when I was a kid, I loved every sport there was. My sport was soccer because I was not big enough to play football. I was also terrified that I'd be snapped in half. I didn't really do a whole lot of basketball because I wasn't that tall, but soccer was my game. And my team, we had this terrible, terrible uh, kind of rhythm or pattern to us from elementary school into middle school, and let's be honest, into high school where we would lose the game before it even began. All right, if you're an athlete, you know what I'm talking about is you get, you get to the field and you look at the other team and you realize their uniforms are way better than ours. They've got the new shoes. He must be good. That player's way bigger than us. They look a lot faster than us. Man, they're making every shot they're taking. Look at their passes. They're crisp. Oh my gosh. And before you know it, we're like, we're done. Game hasn't even started yet, but we have, we have folded up, shriveled inside ourselves like, oh no, until until this kid named Bruce showed up at the, for our team. Can you imagine naming your kid Bruce? Let's, I mean, that, that's a whole nother conversation. Like little, little tiny Bruce, right? 
But Bruce was not tiny. That dude was a man child. Like you, okay, if you played youth sports, you know what I'm talking about. It's the kid where you look at them and you're like, show me the birth certificate. Show it to me right now. As a dad, I see these kids, every, like every team my kids play, they have this man child. Bruce was our dude. And when Bruce showed up to the game, everything changed. I mean, we were like, okay, all right. Bruce is faster than everybody. He's taller than everybody. He is stronger than everybody. And so Bruce's presence on that soccer field changed everything. On the field, it changed the bench, it changed our attitude, it changed our, our continence, like we, we moved a little quicker, we had a little more bounce in our step because Bruce was there. And all the way from elementary school to middle school to high school, we had Bruce. And so we won a lot of games because we had Bruce. Like it wasn't even soccer, it was more like kickball. Just kick the ball as far as you can down the field and Bruce will chase it down and beat everyone and score a goal. And that's what he did. That was our strategy. But here's the deal. This is why I tell you this story. That soccer field is a lot like life. When we look at our life, when we look at the situations happening in our world, when we look at ourselves and our resources, our talents and abilities, we look at the future and we're like, man, I don't know. I don't know how we're gonna win this thing called life. How am I gonna do this? Because life is chaotic. And life is fearful, mainly because of this, of the unknown. You know, when Bruce didn't show up for our soccer games, we didn't know what was gonna happen. And our mind automatically went, it's probably not gonna be very good, whatever does happen. But the fear of the unknown is a strong force. And I would imagine that as young adults, starting your, your adult life, this is probably, you probably feel that word. What if I don't get the job? What if I don't get any friends? What if I leave this friend group and go to another friend and I'm, and I'm by myself? What if I ask them out and they say no? What if I move to another city and I hate it? My bet is this question or this question slash answer has come to your mind at least once. God, if you would just show me how this would turn out, it would make it a whole lot easier. If you just show me, just show me, God, like show me the outcome. Let me know what's actually going to happen and then I will be able to trust you. You see, what we end up doing is we allow the unknown to overshadow the known because the unknown is big. And it's scary, and it's got a better uniform than we do. It's taller and stronger and faster. And what I've learned in my life is I need to increase the known things of God so that it overshadows the unknown things of this world. Because there's always unknown. There's always things we're not gonna understand the outcome or be able to predict the outcome. And so we need to know we need to know God. And the reason we need to know God is because he is over all things, in all things, and he works through all things. And so to know who he is starts to let our hearts relax. And just like that soccer field, it changes everything about you. Everything. So tonight, here's what we're, if you're a note taker, here's, here's the title for the, the message tonight. Take heart because God is undefeated. 
take heart because God is undefeated. And so tonight we're gonna, we're, we're gonna get to know a different side of God than I think we're used to hearing growing up, uh, maybe in church, at VBS, at summer camp. It's a God that we don't hear a lot about. It's, it's the side of him, it's the, the part of his character that we have to know or else the unknown will overtake us. It's the side of God that Moses tells the Hebrew people about in the book of Exodus when they are about to be freed from 430 years of slavery. Moses tells them who God is. And, he's, and Moses says this, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. The Lord God will fight for you. You need only to be still. You see, our God is a fighter. He's not some like just weakling, just hoping things go better. No, he is a fighter. He is the King of Kings and he is the Lord of Lords. And so what I wanna do tonight is I wanna chronologically look at how God is undefeated from the beginning of time until the end. This is gonna be fun. Here we go. My first point tonight is there was a heavenly war before humanity began. A heavenly war began before all creation, there was a coup attempt in heaven. And we read about this coup attempt in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. Isaiah 14, the prophet Isaiah writes this about this rebellious angel that you and I know as Satan and he was jealous for God's glory. And he led a group of angels into a battle with the Lord in heaven, and guess what? They lost, and they lost badly. Here's the description by the prophet Isaiah in chapter 14. How you are fallen from heaven, O day, star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of, of, of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. And then it's almost as Ezekiel picks right up with Isaiah's thought in chapter 28, verse 12. He says, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you out. God wins. He is undefeated. We have to know this. We have to know about the cosmic war that is going on outside of this room, outside of this world, outside of this realm. That there's a spiritual battle happening for the souls of men and women. Why? Because Satan lost his first, his first battle. His coup attempt was thwarted quickly. And he was thrown to this earth. And see, the, 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 what's important for us to understand here is that in our American Christianity, in the American culture, we are a very individualistic mindset. Everything is about me, my life, my future, my, my, my. That's just the way our culture functions. But we are a part of a much bigger story that God is writing and weaving together. 
And so the battle for the souls of men and women continue, although the war has already been won. The battles continue in our lives. We see it on the news. We see it in our relationships. We see the war happening. Good and evil. Satan being thrown out of heaven, and now he's like, I'm going to bring as many people with me in this lost cause as I can. And so you see the battle, another battle start off in Genesis chapter three. Satan turns his aim away from God and onto his creation and humanity by this little conversation that he, he tries another coup attempt with Eve. When, when Satan asks Eve, did God really say that? What is he doing? He's trying to build and plant seeds of distrust between humanity and God. God has given Adam and Eve everything they need. And Satan says, I'm going to, again, throw a coup. I'm going to try and convince you, and he does, that God is not trustworthy, that he is withholding from you. Doesn't he do the same thing to us? How easy it is for us to believe that God is withholding goodness from us. It's the original lie that God is not good, he is not trustworthy, and he is withholding from you. So therefore, he cannot be good. Because you know, I know what is good. And so he, he takes this perfect peace, Satan, this perfect peace in the garden, and destroys it. Sin enters the world, humanity rebels against God, and then in Genesis 3.14, God wages war on Satan. He fights now, he doesn't fight against humanity. He doesn't fight against Adam and Eve. He fights against the devil. And he says, you are cursed. What does he do with Adam and Eve? He provides for them. Yes, they experience the consequence of their, their rebellion by being kicked out of the garden, but they're naked and ashamed and they're hiding from God. That never happened before. And on the way out, what does God do? Does he shame them? Does he guilt them? No, he covers them. He covers their shame. And I love that in Genesis chapter three, we see the glimpse of the gospel right here. That in order for sin to be covered, there had to be death. Something had to die to give them those clothes. There was bloodshed to cover their sin and their shame. It's a foreshadowing to the end, of, and we'll get there in just a few minutes. So what do we do with this idea that there's a heavenly war that has begun? Here, here, here's what I would encourage you. This is my so what. I'm gonna give you so what's through the entire talk tonight. Is I wanna encourage you and challenge you to zoom out regularly. Zoom out of your life. There is much more going on. God is doing way more than you can possibly imagine. You are a part of a story that is way bigger than you and today and tomorrow and this week. Is it important? Yes, God cares about what we care about, but there's a bigger story that God is writing. And here's the cool thing. You and I are a part of that story. We are connected to God. It can be easy to see what's happening around us, right? It can be easy to see what's happening and think, man, this looks like a loss. And so in order to grasp what God is doing, we have to know who God is 
and what he is doing. And what I'm telling you is the Bible teaches us over and over and over and over that God is a fighter and a warrior. Because Satan tried and failed. And now Satan has turned his focus onto his children and onto his creation to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And God is a warrior who says, I will rescue my people and I will redeem my people. Satan will not win. Watch this. So take heart. God is undefeated from the very beginning. Number two, God fights for his people. God fights for his people. Let me tell you a story. It's probably the most famous story in the Old Testament. There is so much symbolism in this story about the gospel and the cross of Christ. It is a story of the Israelite people who were exiled into um, Egypt. For 430 years, the Egyptians, the Hebrew people, God's chosen people were enslaved for 430 years. And they were crying desperately for deliverance. And then God sends Moses to be the mediator between God's people and Pharaoh. And 10 times Moses goes on God's behalf, on his orders and says, let my people go. And 10 times Pharaoh says, no. Why would he? This is his workforce. This is, we're talking about millions of people building Egypt. Why would he let them go? It's free labor. But 10 times Moses comes back and says, let my people go. And every time he hardens his heart and says, no, I will not let my people go. You know what God does? This is awesome. God trolls Pharaoh. 100%, he trolls him. Because every single plague, all 10 plagues that God sends down on Egypt is directly correlated with the, the gods of Egypt that they worshiped. So the first plague was turning the, the Nile River into blood. Well, the most significant God that the Egyptians worshiped was the God of the Nile because it was the water that made everything happen. It gave them life, and so they worshiped it. And God said, watch this. Go look at all the plagues. Just look it up. Every single plague, God's like, watch this. You, you worship that, I will take care of that. I will kill all of your livestock because you worship the God of, of uh, food. I will make the sun dark because you worship Ra, the sun god. And over and over and over, God's like, watch this. God's undefeated. He can't lose. And so as we look at this story, this amazing thing happens. Pharaoh finally relents and says, fine, you may go. Take your people. Because God had killed all the firstborn children of Egypt. Why? Because Pharaoh had done the same thing. He'd killed the firstborn of all the Hebrew children. It's the story of Moses. And so in his pain and in his suffering, he says, get out of here. Go, your people may leave. And so what I read earlier, Exodus uh, 14, it says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. That's Moses as they leave Egypt. The Lord will fight for you. And he shows up and he does it. And then they, they leave uh, Egypt and they get to the Red Sea and they make camp. And all of a sudden, Pharaoh has a change of heart. I think he realizes all the free labor that he just let walk out the door. 
And so he gets his entire army. He says, go get them back. And the chariots and the warriors, they start marching. And the Israelites see, see what's coming over the hill. And just like we probably would, they start freaking out. And what does Moses say? The Lord will fight for us. Why? Because God has let them go. He's got them out. And if you've grown up in church, you know this story. Moses takes his staff and puts it in the Red Sea, and the Red Sea parts in two, and there's dry ground across the Red Sea. And all of the Israelites walk across on dry ground. And of course, Pharaoh's army follows them right in. And as they're in the middle, God says, we're done. And wipes out Pharaoh's entire army. Now catch this. Can you imagine that? Like you're, you're running for your life with your children and your, your cats and whatever. You're going through, right? And you look back and here comes an army and all of a sudden it's like, poof, gone. Here's what Moses does. They worship the Lord, right? They worship him. Uh, here it is in Exodus 15, one through three. Listen to this. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God. I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior and the Lord is his name. God fights for his people. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. There's a guy, a pastor and theologian, A.W. Tozer, that says this. He's famous for this quote. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Why? Because just like Bruce on my soccer team, what you think about God will change everything about you. If you think he is angry and mean, then you will live in fear all your life. If you think God doesn't care and you can just do whatever you want, he'll forgive you anyway, then you won't listen to him at all. You won't value grace. If he's just a, a counselor or a therapist for you, that's gonna change how you interact with him. He is no longer king, he is your counsel when life gets inconvenient. And so I agree with A.W. Tozer, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And I just wonder, when was the last time what came to mind when you thought of God was he's a warrior? He's a fighter and he is undefeated. That doesn't come to my mind very often until I read stories like this. And I hear the words of Moses say, that is my Lord, he is a warrior. That is his name. God fights for Adam and Eve. God fights for the, the Israelites all through the Old Testament. And then we see the New Testament come along and God fights for all people, right? When the angel came to the, the shepherds to tell about the birth of Christ, what did he say? I have good news of great joy for all the people. And so God fights for his people. So what do we do about this? 
We join God as he fights for his people instead of fighting against God. Choose your side. Choose your side. You can either fight with him for his purposes and for his mission, or you can fight against him. And guys, this is kind of our DNA, because often <laughs> the, 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 the DNA of humanity, the DNA we see in the biblical Old Testament story is this pattern over and over. There's a time of faithfulness to God, right? After the Red Sea, they were faithful to God. They were like, you are my king, you are the warrior, you, the, that is your name. And then not too long, over time, they forget and they ignore who God is. And they start worshiping idols and they start living in false worship and doing things that God would not have them do. And then the consequences of those actions come. And then they cry out for deliverance. And then God delivers them. And then they walk into a season of faithfulness and worship of God. It's the cycle and pattern of the Old Testament that leads bleeds right into the New Testament life that we live. How many of you, is that your story? That's my story. Man, I love Jesus. And then I forget about him. And I go do my own thing. And then there's consequences of that. And I come back to God, God, why did this happen to me? And I find forgiveness and redemption at the cross. And I'm like, oh, yes. Right? This is the cycle of the human heart. So sometimes God says, I will fight against you for your own good. Because those idols and that false worship will actually lead you away from me. And so what do we do? We just join God and fight with him instead of fighting and kicking and screaming to live life with him. And here's the good news. Doesn't matter your, your, your level of rebellion, what you've done, where you've gone, what you've looked at, what you've said, what you've thought, you're never too far away. You're never too far gone for God. There's always a time to turn back and he will always be there waiting with his arms wide open saying, oh, I was waiting for this day. I think about the videos that I see on, on, on my scroll of all these like soldiers that come home and their family doesn't know. You guys know what I'm talking about? My favorite are kids. When they're at a school play or a game and, and dad or mom walks around the corner and it's just ugly crying because they are longing for, for dad to come home. To me, that's the image I get in my head of how God responds to us when we turn back to him. You're never too far gone. And at the end of the Old Testament, there's another 400 years of silence from God and I'm sure that felt like a big loss. God, where are you? I need to hear you. But take heart, God is undefeated. Because at the end of that 400 years, just like God sent Moses to mediate and release his people from Pharaoh, this time after 400 years, God sends his warrior to set the captives free. That's my third point tonight is that God sent his warrior, King Jesus. God brings this cosmic war down to earth. He's like, Satan, you're gonna mess with my people? Guess what? I'm gonna send my warrior king. And I'm gonna enter, we're gonna usher in a whole new kingdom. And Jesus will be king over it all. But, but here's the thing, is Jesus doesn't choose to fight with violence or destruction. He chooses to fight with the cross. It's like, 
the old David and Goliath story. And I imagine Satan had to have thought, I'm Goliath. Dude, I got this, man. This is my world. And you're just one dude. And I love Tim Keller, pastor and theologian, author, said it this way. Jesus is the true and better David whose victory becomes his people's victory though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. You see, Jesus went to the cross and, it, and his victory is our victory even though we did nothing for it. God sent his warrior. You see, there's more. This is such an important thing to understand, young adults, this, 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 this will change your faith. There is more happening at the cross than your personal salvation. We simplify it into the cross of Christ is for our, our, the forgiveness of our sins. Yes, it is. It is no less than that. Don't hear me say that. But it is so much more. Colossians 2, verse 13 and 14. Listen to the words of Paul. It says, you were dead because of your sin and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive in, with Christ for he forgave our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. Personal salvation is yours in Christ. And that's where we stop. But that's not where Paul stops. In verse 15, the very next verse, listen to this. In this way, Paul says, Jesus disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. This is Jesus saying, I'm going to not just beat you, I'm going to disarm you, and then I'm going to make a public spectacle of you for all time. And it's called the cross. You see, the cross is not jewelry. It is not a fashion statement. It is the defining image that reminds Satan every day he lost and God wins. So when Jesus says in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have trouble. Yes, I know it because there is a war waging for your soul and for the souls of those you love and the, the people working next to you and the people you live next to. Satan is warring for them, but so is God. In this world, you will have trouble. But Jesus says, take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus invites us to come and follow him. But that is not the end of our faith. That is the beginning. Jesus is not an eternal insurance policy. It is not something we do on Sundays or Tuesdays and then we live the rest of our life asking for forgiveness. No, he is inviting us to become citizens of heaven. So what do we do? What do we do with this warrior king that God has sent? We follow him. We follow him. If you're in a prison camp, a POW in war, and someone comes out of the woods and flies open the gate, he's like, let's go. 
Why, why do we stand like, wait, hold on. Who are you? What are you gonna require of me when I come out of this? No. And Jesus says, come, follow me. Let's go. I will set the captives free. So what are we waiting for? Why would we choose to stay in the POW camp when the gate has been thrown open by the cross of Christ? He has disarmed the guards. There is nothing keeping you in there. You see, Jesus sets the captives free. He adopts the orphans. He forgives the sinners. He brings the spiritually dead to life. That's Jesus. Our warrior conquering king. And I don't know about you, but that fires me up. Can you tell? It fires me up to know that my God is not some therapist on a couch to make me feel better. He is a warrior that says, let's go. Let's kick down the gates of hell because you are my ambassadors. Let's get after it. There are people who are dying and they don't even know it. There are people who are held captive by the enemy and they don't even know it. But you, the believer, have been given a call and a mission that is greater than just your personal salvation, checking off the good Christian list. Like Satan wins when we're doing that. The coolest thing about this is he doesn't just redeem us and free us. He then commissions us to go be agents of redemption to the world that we live in. We have a greater mission than making money. We have a greater calling than comfort. God has said, you are my agent of redemption. What are we waiting for? He has disarmed the powers and authorities. He has made a public spectacle of them. Let me tell you, like my, my, my kids love to play Fortnite. I don't know if you know that what the game is. Ladies, I'm sorry, but it's this game where you go around and you shoot and you try and win. And what my boys love to do is after they beat somebody, they dance over them. It's called the, the, the emote, is that the right word? They do a little victory dance. It's what Jesus has done. The cross is the victory dance. He has defeated Satan. He says, hey, look at that. He's taken away all, his, all the ammunition of the accuser. Because when he accuses you and me of the sin debt that we owe God, we just point to the cross and say, well, Jesus already knows and he is forgiven and I am free from it, let's go. What else you got? You're agents of redemption. Not Christians that just live in a world just trying to get by. We serve a king who is a warrior. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is the story God is writing. He's not just writing it, he's inviting you into it. He invites you and me and us to be a part of this bigger story that's being played out in the history of the world. And the ending, all oh, the ending of the story. It's unfathomably amazing because God is and will always be undefeated. So let's finish tonight by jumping to the end of the story. How many of you guys read books like for fun? Anybody? How many of y'all watch movies for fun? All right. Okay, now, now let's be honest. Can we just be honest with each other? How many of you, when you read a book, you're like Oakley, who was up here earlier? She admitted this to our staff the other day, that when she reads a book and it gets really tense and she's not sure what's happening, she'll flip, she'll, she'll Google the end of the story, like the spoiler. 
And then she'll read and be like, okay, I know how it ends. Now let's go back to the story, right? I, did, I literally did, I, I wasn't planning on saying this, but last weekend I was watching a movie with my kids. It was a whodunit movie. And I was like, who's the killer? I want to go to bed. So what I do, pull up my phone, who killed so-and-so in this movie? And I'm like, okay, great, now I can watch it. I want to get rid of the anxiety, right? It's like, ah, what's gonna happen? But guys, this is what we need to do. Life is chaotic. So why would we not look at the end of the story? If you have your Bibles, man, turn to Revelation chapter 19. This is my last point. And it is this, God wins in the end. This is the end of the story. Satan knows his fate. We need to know the end of the story so that we can have courage in the midst of the chaos because God is doing something bigger and better and grander and so we can deal with it knowing that at the end of the story, God wins. So in Revelation 19, verse 11, so if you're not familiar, Revelation is a, is a vision that the, the apostle John has been given by God. Like this is a vision and he writes it out of what, John writes out what he sees. And I'm gonna pop into Revelation 19 and then we're gonna go to Revelation 20 and then we're gonna go to Revelation 21, just real quick. I would encourage you to read this through. Revelation 19, verse 11. John says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns because he's undefeated. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of, uh, of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe, oh, I love this, on his robe and on his thigh, tattooed on his thigh is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's Jesus, the warrior king his robe dipped in blood, coming to vanquish evil and Satan for all time, for never again. And on his stinking thigh, it says, King of kings and Lord of lords. If you, anyone tells you don't get a tattoo, Revelation 19. <laughs> Revelation 20, verse 10. Then Now we, fla we, we flash forward to, to, to Satan's future. It says, and the devil who deceived them, humanity, was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet have been thrown and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Satan knows he's fighting a losing battle. The war has already been won. And then in Revelation 21, maybe the greatest thing I've ever read in my entire life. John writes this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, 
God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne, God said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and I am the omega, the beginning and the end. Come on, Josh, let's go. God is undefeated. He is writing a story that will not be, be, be thwarted. So why would we not be passionately following Jesus, the conquering warrior king? Because one day there will be a glorious and cosmic reunion of God and his people. You know, our culture has described heaven as a cloud with a harp. If you read Revelation, heaven looks like a wedding banquet feast. It is gonna be the greatest party and greatest reunion. We, I mean, we can't even fathom it. It is unfathomable. It is without fathom. And for those who are in Christ, you will be a part of that party. And there are a lot of people who are not in Christ and they will not be in the party. They will be separated from God forever. And so my question tonight is, do you know him? Do you know him as the conquering warrior king who has invited you into his kingdom and said, now let's go. Let's go set the captives free together. Or have we relegated God to our therapist? Have we relegated God to, uh, when I got a question, I'll Google God and see what he thinks. But beyond that, I will be the conquering king of my life. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Why? Because he's the conquering king. Rest lies with him and him alone. So what do we do? We take heart. Do not be afraid to go all in with Christ. Do not be afraid to be ashamed of Christ because God wins. Are we really afraid that people just won't like us? Is that all it takes? I grew up singing this song in the, uh, I don't know how it goes, in the Lord's army, yes, sir. We'd sing it in VBS. I loved it, right? I'll be in the infantry. I'll be in the cavalry in the Lord's army. But when I look back in my life, man, I'm the easiest soldier to take out in the world. A little rejection from people, I'll get, I'll get out of the battle. A little uncomfortableness in my life, I'll get out of the battle real quick. That's why this concept that I'm sharing with you tonight, I'm so excited and passionate about it because it has changed my view of my faith. It is not just a personal faith. God is waging a cosmic war and as Christians, we are now his agents of redemption. At your workplace, in your family, in your friend group, in your neighborhood, wherever you go, you are his plan A. So take heart. In recap, hear my so what's. Zoom out regularly. Fight with God, not against him. 
choose to follow Jesus and then go all in with Jesus, the conquering king, because he is undefeated. To live with Christian courage, we must know how Christ has overcome the world. And that means knowing the whole story that God has written. And as a follower of Christ, you are part of God's redemptive story. Get this. You're part of his redemptive story, not just as the one who he's redeeming, but now as an agent of redemption. We don't get saved and then just sit. We get saved, we give our life to Christ and we follow him and we get busy about the things of God. So what are you scared of? What are you waiting for? For those who are not Christians, that you don't know Jesus as your King of Kings and your Lord of Lords, what are you waiting for? His invitation is available to you. Tonight, tomorrow, but why wait? You are never too far away to accept the invitation of Christ to become a citizen of the kingdom of God. And then when you do, you will be a whole new person. The old is gone and the new has come. You are a new creation in Christ. And you have a new purpose beyond just pleasure and escapism and comfort. You get to battle and war with God for the souls of men and women. That yes, their day would be better, but their eternity would be secure. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go into 120 seconds as usual. And then we're gonna worship, but we're gonna ask our prayer team just to kind of go by the stairs back there and the stairs back there. And if you need prayer, if you are ready to say, hey, I, I, I'm going all in with Jesus. I've been playing church for a long time, but he is not my king and my Lord, but I'm ready tonight. Our prayer team is ready to help you walk through that conversation and to make that commitment. Colossians 1, Paul says that God has transferred us from the dominion of darkness into the dominion in the kingdom of light called his son Jesus. I don't know why you want to live in the dominion of darkness any longer than you have to. So our team is ready. Let me pray. God, I want to thank you for tonight, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the hope we have in Jesus. And thank you that the cross is more than just my personal salvation. Thank you for that. Forever grateful, God. But thank you that you are bigger and greater and better than I could ever imagine and you invite us into it. By your grace, we are saved. Through faith alone in Jesus. God, would you bring those who are spiritually dead tonight, would you bring them to life? And those who are spiritually sleepy, would you wake them up? Would you give us courage? Not because we're skillful, not because we're good, but because you are undefeated. And you are a warrior king who is fighting for us, and now you invite us to fight with you. God, let us fight well. 
in a way that brings glory and honor to your name and not ours. We praise things in your name, amen.